Sporting dog adventures run. That boy, run. was awesome. Everything you Good need boy. is here. here under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Saki Acres Retrievers. Whether you're looking for a black, yellow, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppy, please check out our website for more information at www.sakiacres.com. You can also email Jeff at sportingdogtv at gmail.com or call 262-215-9683. And remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. It's Jeff Fuller from the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast, and I need a little help. Please stop what you're doing and give us a five-star rating. Follow us on the platform you're on. Give us a thumbs up. And above all, share our podcast with your friends and family. Our podcast will grow even more, and we can get more people involved in the sport we love with Dogs in the Field. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. We are doing a video podcast. This is one of our first podcasts we're doing. My wife, Kate, and I, she's actually in the other room, but we wanted to try a Zoom podcast so that we could work with our guests on a Zoom level, which will hopefully improve our audio. So you are the test case listening to this podcast. And Kate, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, a couple different things. Um, I have some useful tips about household items that are like non-dog specific items that dog owners actually really should have. So that's going to be one of my segments. And we thought we'd also talk about another topic, which will be the first one we talk about, which is how to make your dog gun shy. Because this is something that we are hearing over and over again, where people are having their dogs, they're in a situation where they think you take them out and that's how you teach them to hunt when it couldn't be further from the truth. So let's get started with that. Yeah, we just even just recently, I mean, we were just at the store just now. We overheard somebody with a lab puppy having a conversation and, you know, it's not our place to step in, but you had a client recently reach out to you who was trying to do training on their own and we're seeing an increased incidence, I guess, recently of people who are kind of not following the right steps as far as training their dog and the dog becomes gum shy and it's sort of a natural human reaction to not look internally and not look to yourself like maybe you did something wrong you know it's let's blame the dog or let's you know no it, it's us it's really on us so what i tell people is that probably 90 to 95 percent of dogs you could take them out and shoot over them but it's that five to ten percent that you're going to scare the bejesus out of and once a dog is gun shy you've got about a one in four chance of recovering them they are at that point scared they do not know why they're out there and even once you get them through if you try to do it properly you probably will not recover that dog and you now have a very fine pet Mm -hmm. I know you've said, I mean, you obviously train dog professionally, you are networked with many other professional trainers, and I know that's one of the things that you said to me right off the bat when we met about dog training is it is one of the hardest things to fix, if not impossible. Um, so obviously something to be very cognizant of if you're going to train your own dog, 
and what not to do. You don't, you want to get there. You don't want to ever get to that point because it's almost hardly ever recoverable. So when we look at training, what we have to do is look at it as dogs, if properly bred, are bred to hunt. They are bred to go out and do work and chase things around and retrieve things. And what we are looking at is we are actually training the dogs and introducing them to stuff so they hunt properly for us. And that is a three-month process. It's interesting because we have our first group of dogs in for the year now. One of my clients was shocked that his dog has done no field work at five weeks in. And that is because I told him, I'm like, listen, I can't take a dog out in the field and let them run around like an idiot if they don't know why they're out there because I have no way of correcting them. You can correct them with a collar, but you're not actually correcting at the point you're punishing. You want the dogs to understand why they're having pressure put on them with a collar or even with a loud voice where you're yelling at them so that they understand how to fix the problem. Yeah, so basically there's, a, with all things, there's a system or an approach. Um, the collar is part of the approach to proper training. And then there's also a conditioning process that you do with the gun dogs that come in for training as far as conditioning them and getting them used to that sound, that, that gunfire sound, if you will. And there's all different ways that you can do that. But the easiest way to describe it is that when you are conditioning them to gunfire, you're doing distraction training. Uh, gosh, I remember a book I first read, it said to take two pieces of two by four and while your puppy was eating to slam them together to make noise. I've heard people banging pots and pans together. I don't know how effective those are, but what I do is if I had a single dog, I would play retrieve with the dog, throw bumpers for the dog, and then have someone start at about a hundred yards and shoot off a 209 primer pistol. And as I'm throwing the bumper, they would shoot. And as the dog does not have any adverse reactions, they would move closer and closer until they were next to me. Now, you might not do that whole step any day, but again, you're going to slowly have that work toward where they're next to you. What I do when I have multiple dogs, and you could do this if you have friends that you're training in a group or even a friend with a couple of dogs, I actually just let the dogs chase after bumpers. I only use one bumper to create pretty much the competition aspect, throw the bumper, and after about a week of playing this game with them, then I start shooting when all the dogs are chasing the bumper. And because they're distracted and they're having fun, they actually never hear the shot. And it's that distraction that is a fun distraction that makes it happen. You can't just have the dog sitting there or standing there at heel or whatever and start shooting or smashing things together, right? You're going to have the same effect, right? You're going to frighten them. You're trying to teach them that there's this fun, this positive association that distracts them from that loud noise. So that they're not even thinking about that other part. And they're not even thinking about as you're, as you're progressing that sound to come closer and closer for it to be louder and louder. They're like, I'm after that bumper. They don't care. And that's the thing is once you do have a dog, if they do show any concern, you need to basically step way back and slow things down. Uh, the person that I was talking to, they took their dog out. The dog was scared, but they kept trying to take the dog out again and again and again. And you're pretty much doubling down on stupid as far as, and I don't mean it in that way, like a negative thing, just that's a statement, but it would be, you're, you're causing it to get worse and worse. You're making it one, two, three times worse and harder to recover because the dog is scared. You're, you're, you're in essence scaring them more and more 
And this individual said, well, now my dog, it doesn't want to chase birds. It doesn't want to do anything. It's, it's because it's associating birds and bumpers with fear. Yeah, that negative, you've created now that negative association. The dog liked bumpers, it liked running around, it, it liked birds, and now it's like bird means big, horrible, scary noises coming after me, and yeah. Correct, and that's just, again, if you have a dog that is gun shy, is it recoverable? A lot of it's going to depend on at what level you're at. I always talk to people further before I would take a dog in just to see how far gone are we have you taken this dog out only once or is this 10 12 20 times where the dog has been scared uh we had two dogs in last year one was slightly gun shy and the other had had a uh, fireworks mortar go off by it and both dogs got through it and i still remember the one dog we had she was from canada that dog when she ran out to retrieve she would turn her ears back to listen to what was going on behind her like a horse and it was crazy because I've never seen it. She literally was under so much stress. She would go do the work. And at first she didn't run full speed. Eventually she got to the point where she realized, okay, this is fun. But she would actually put her ears back because she was trying to hear like what's going on behind me because she was looking for danger. And I was gonna mention if you didn't mention fireworks, you know, and of course any loud noises, but the ones that are really, really crucial to avoid is that the fireworks and that gunfire where you don't have that appropriate conditioned response or the distraction kind of technique. You've also had other people bring dogs in who are like, oh, doesn't want to hunt. And I think it's from last 4th of July. You know, we had a big party and Rover was hiding in the basement. It's like, yeah, same thing with fireworks, everybody. Just got to be careful with those as well. That can cause the exact same effect unintended. And the crazy thing is I actually know dogs that are scared of fireworks and scared of thunderstorms, but love hunting. So again, you may have a dog that's scared of fireworks. You may have a dog that's scared of thunder, but with gunfire, you have to go slowly. And if the dog is noise sensitive, it's just showing them that this is a good thing. You're explaining things to them. Whenever you look at things, we have to train. We don't have to try to abruptly change their pattern, which they would look at as punishment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said earlier, like looking at yourself and what you're doing, if you've bought a well-bred dog that has good drive, that drive is in its pedigree, it is more likely something you did than the dog's pedigree. So, you know, taking, taking some responsibility there, understanding that it wasn't a breeding issue. You know, if you frighten the, the heck out of this dog, it's the environment, it's not the breeding. So again, I get asked, how, what age can a dog go out and hunt? I always tell people, not before nine months old. Reason being, you start training at six months when you're doing formal training with pressure. It takes three months. You want to make sure your dog is through all of your training prior to taking him to the field. And that's how you're going to prevent putting yourself in a position where you're causing something like gunfire and a gunshy dog. You, you need to understand that gunshy dogs are created by the owner and by the wrong action and the dog taking something the wrong way. To avoid that, put your dog through training you're gonna avoid a lot of other bad habits that you will get if you just take your dog out and run them in the field. And when you have your friend or uncle or grandpa that says, well, this is how to teach a dog to hunt, explain to them, you don't teach a dog to hunt. We can't make a dog hunt because a dog is a hunting breed does not mean it's a hunting dog. It is a dog that's properly bred, will have drive, they'll have desire. And then we are honing that and we are teaching them that they hunt for us as a team 
And we're also going to introduce them to stuff so we don't have any, any instances of a gun-shy dog or any other problems that you could have. Mm -hmm. I think I use the example of if you have two Olympic athlete swimmers who have a child, would you take that child and just throw them in the deep end of the water? You'd be like, oh, well, we're swimmers, we're champion sweat. swimmers. He can figure it out. No, he would be terrified of water and probably never want to swim again. So these parents gave this baby the genetic makeup to be able to accomplish this task, but that's not the way we'd go about it. Yes. So, Kate, thanks so much for being part of this show. Now, next, we're going to have our week seven of our gun dog training series, which is we're going through every week and what I work with with the dogs. And then Kate is gonna stick around and we're gonna have a tip section after that coming up after the training section, which will end beyond after this. kennels can be beautiful. That's the basis on which we built DCT Kennels. We give you the opportunity to have a beautiful kennel that blends seamlessly with your home decor while providing a safe and comfortable respite for your dog. Visit dctkennels.com to see all of our custom selections and start building your dream custom doggy crate Dunza. If you love the shooting sports like I do, you need to check out our friends at Mac Outdoors. They have fantastic products, whether you're looking at shot shell or metallic reloading, or you want to get yourself a clay thrower so you can practice up for the season. For more information, check out their website at MacOutdoors.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. So we are on week seven of the Eastside Acres Gun Dog Training Program. And it's funny because people have always asked me to put together video, to put together some type of other series so they could learn how we train dogs. I always tell everyone, listen, it's about 90% of training is the same. So if you're looking for a training program, many are gonna have the same thing. You wanna make sure you've got one that uses e-collars and one that goes through trained retrieve or what I like to call conditioned retrieve because that is part of the building block of your dog's future. But with ours, I thought it would be easy enough just to talk about what I'm working on with dogs. And if you're following this program and you're behind, just stay on the steps that are in each week. When you do something for a living, you have more time and more knowledge. So I'm gonna have my dogs probably farther along than yours. And if you can stick with the program so if you have to spend two weeks on week four, it's not a big deal. It's about completing steps, completing the process and getting your dogs ready for the field. So let's talk about week seven. Week seven, we now have our dogs where we have really nitpicked their retrieve. We have built the retrieve so that they are solid with it, where they are sitting at heel, they're leaving on their name, they're coming back in, they're coming to heel, they're seat, sitting and then we're taking the bumper from them. A good trick for this, when you go to reach for a bumper from a dog's mouth, you occasionally have dogs that will auto spit. If you come from behind the dog and grab the bumper, you can actually do yourself a huge favor because they don't know that you're going to grab the bumper. When you put your hand in the bumper, you command drop. 
It's just a good way to make sure your dog is successful and you aren't having to correct them if they drop. But what we're going to work on this week is we are going to go to our recall commands being all whistle. So beep, beep, beep is our hear command. I will still say here beep, beep, beep occasionally so they understand, but we will switch to the point where at the end of the week it's all whistle. And we are going to have our dogs finish and retrieves and we're going to start working in cover. Now, normally, I would probably get to the point where I would take the dogs out and put them in some water, but I'm in Southern Wisconsin. It is the end of March. It is incredibly cold and we had a drought. So all I have is my ponds. I don't have the ability to have what I usually have is a flooded area, which you call running water and training. I don't have water that is six inches to 12 inches deep. That is nice because it warms up during the day. You can let the sun get on it. It's not too cold for the dogs. I don't want to put the dogs into our deep water ponds as of yet because the water is incredibly cold. You want it to be a fun experience for them. You don't want them to become water shy because they're like, what the heck is this, this stuff? It's really cold. So we're going to work on all land things this week as well as decoys. What I will do is I have a set aside area that I will work on just retrieves only where I'm just focused on releasing them on their name, having them go out, come back and sit at heel. I will actually this week put decoys out there. Yes, water decoys on the ground. Whenever we introduce, we work on things, we always do it on ground first because then we will translate that later to the water. But you want it to be something where you're working on the ground first so that if there are any issues like the dog tries to pick a bumper up, we can correct them. If the dog drops a bumper, in the in in the decoys, uh, you're you're not not gonna have to wait out to to uh, have them pick the bumper up. So we're gonna put it where we have decoys out for them now on our small training field, and we're gonna start where we're doing taller grass retrieves. When I set a dog up for doing their first cover retrieves, I actually try to make sure the wind is in, is in as much of their favor as possible. I put it right where the wind is right in my face, right in their face. This does several things. One, you have it where the dog is going to smell it. And two, they're not going to get distracted by a different type of smell. You can throw your bumper out. The dog is going to take their line out to it like they would, but they have the advantage of being able to smell the bumper. Now, I would switch the bumpers this week. I would wash them thoroughly with a scent-free soap. I'm going to start putting a, a scent on my bumpers. I use Conquest scents. Um, I use their scents since I worked them in TV. I will put that on the bumpers. I will wash my bumpers a couple of times a week just to keep them so that there's not as much hand scent on them. And we're looking more at bird scent. I'll alternate between using duck scent and using pheasant scent. And I'm going to make sure the wind is in their face. I'm going to start with shorter hand-thrown marks, go to longer hand-thrown marks to the point where we're probably going about 40 to 50 yards, which is the max I can throw something. Once you get to that point where we're further in training, you're going to want to get someone that will help you and be out farther and throw a mark for you. So they're going to throw the bumper so the dog can see it so that the dog doesn't always pull up short right basically at the end of the distance that you can throw it. So the other thing that we're going to work on with our cover retrieves is using actual birds. We're going to throw our actual birds out. We're going to let the dogs go out, let them pick them up, let them come back, let them finish their retrieve. Again, if your dog 
drops a bumper, we've used our e-collar on them now. So you will just command fetch and you will push the button. We're going to get them to the point where they are doing a great retrieve, starting doing cover so that we can build on this in the future. I'm looking at my weather next week. We're going to start going into the water next week. I've got a pond that I'm going to put water in where I can make it where it's oh probably a foot deep in one end of it. And then we'll start with that. But for this week, we're going to work on our cover marks and get them so that they are doing a good job finishing retrieves and also getting to hunt a little bit. One caution. When a dog is out looking for something and they are hunting, there is no need to yell, hunt it up. I have told more clients, I told my son the other day who was, who's learning to train, you need to just shut up. Don't talk. Let them hunt. They're out there. They're hunting. They're doing their job. Why are you trying to talk to them when they're already hunting? You're not going to make them hunt harder. What will end up happening is if you are telling a dog, hunt it up, hunt it up, hunt it up, hunt it up, like you hear so many people do, your dog is going to do something called popping. Popping is where the dog will go out, turn around and sit and look at you. Or they'll get distracted because they're looking back at you. You are take actually taking their drive and their perseverance away from them by not just letting them hunt. Let them hunt. Let them work. This is how we build a dog so that they are that dog that goes into the cattails on the marsh and finds that pheasant that's down or finds that duck that's down after a good long hunt. The one that you look and go, I can't believe the dog found that. If you have the dog that you're constantly telling and urging to hunt, you're going to have a dog that is going to be in there for a few seconds and then come out and be like, I didn't find it. You need to help me because they're used to you talking to them. So again, work in your cover retrieves. Don't talk. Use your whistles. Use some birds. Clean those bumpers and use some scent. I hope that helps for this week's training tip. Next, stay tuned as Kate is back with us and we're going to talk about some great household items that are really important to have around that everyone has that you can use for your dog or puppy. All that and more coming up after this. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. We all know that unexpected accidents can happen. That's why I partner with Trupanion's Breeder Support Program to send all my puppy buyers home from Soggy Acres with an offer for Trupanion coverage. Learn more about Trupanion and sign up for their Breeder Support Program by visiting trupanion.com breeder. Be sure to tell them that Sporting Dog Adventure sent you. Welcome to Boucher in Janesville, where customer service is our number one priority. Our customers come back to us because of the experience that we provide for them. We're here to make sure that we find you the right car, one that fits your budget, and do so in a timely manner. When we say we ride with you every mile, it means we care about you and how you are treated. Damos con personal que habla español en los departamentos de servicio y venta. Our certified technicians are here to help you with all your service needs. Visit us today at Boucher.com. At Boucher, we ride with you every mile. 
Welcome back to the show. We're here with Kate again, and she is going to help us out with some household items that are very helpful for having dogs and puppies in your house. This will probably be an ongoing thing. As we think of things, we will bring it up, but a great segment so that you can have your house, just to have some extra stuff around that will really help. What do we have on the list? Well, everybody creates um, lists for new puppy owners, people who have got a new rescue or whatever the case is, Christmas idea lists, and they're all dog items. It's like this particular toy or this particular bone or this particular bowl. Um, nobody talks about the things that are helping around the house that aren't from a pet store, that aren't dog specific. So I've been working on a list, kind of going through our own home and seeing what are these items that I've bought from other kinds of stores that aren't specifically for dogs, but I don't know what we would do without them. Um, and the first thing that I have on the list is a boot tray or a boot mat, which, you know, you're probably like, what do you do with that? We put it under the dog's food and water bowls. It's awesome. They're cheap as can be. You can get them from Walmart. Um, They've got durable. a raised, they hold a lot of water, which is nice. They've got a raised ridge on them. That's probably a half inch high. That's the key. They make a lot of mats for putting under your dog or your cat's bowl, food bowl or water bowl or both, but it's just literally a placemat. Well, what good is that? I think the thinking is that it gives it traction. This is fabulous because it protects your floor. I don't know about other breeds of dogs, but labs, when they drink, I swear they have two holes out of the sides of their mouths in <laughs> the water. Like there's more water on the floor than in their mouth. I swear. Well, and they get into drinking and we've got multiple dogs and they fight over the bowl and water's flying everywhere. And yeah. at least 75% of it lands on the tray. Yeah. So you've got this wonderful tray that's got, like you said, this big lip, this big ridge around it, and it actually catches all of it in there. It also incidentally catches a whole heck of a lot of dog hair, as we've noticed. So they're wonderful because you can pick it up, you can take it outside and hose it off, or you can hose it off in your kitchen sink. And I mean, one will last you for literally years, and it really saves your floor. So that was one of the first things I noticed, like a boot mat or a boot tray with a nice high edge on it. And it does. You can just destroy hardwood floors or carpeting or even linoleum because it'll get under the linoleum with the amount of water that a lab will leak out when they're drinking. Yeah. So the next item. Uh, a baby gate. So again, a super cheap item that you can get at Walmart. And I actually prefer the really super cheap ones. The kind where, you know, you adjust the setting, you kind of lock it down in place. You put it in your stairwell and you just leave it that way and you just kind of move it back and forth kind of through the actual rungs of the stair to keep dogs out of areas of the house that they don't belong. So if you've got a puppy, it's really valuable for um, if you've got like stairs you don't want to hurt, get them hurt on, like falling down stairs. Um, but also if you've got upstairs bedrooms, upstairs bathrooms, you don't want them going up there. Just put that baby gate there and it, your kids will use it. You'll use it and your kids will use it. Because it's not one of those complicated, expensive gates where you're having to like unsnap things or whatever. Just slide it. Yeah, and then you can move it anywhere. Yeah, just slide it left and right to let yourself in and let yourself out. Because no one will use it if you buy one of those really high-end expensive ones where you're having to like snap and unsnap or fasten things. No one will do it. Just well, and, if you, and if you have your dog, your puppy, when you're even like housebreaking, you're trying to keep them near you, you can lock them in a room with you so that they can't wander out, go drop lovely uh, things for you. And 
it could be where you have your dog where they just have their place. They have their room. If you don't want to put a crate in there, like our laundry room, we could have it in there. You could just have it where they're locked into just that one room. If you, you're at work, you want to pen them in the kitchen, pen them in the kitchen. If you have company over and you prefer not to crate, mm -hmm. just section them off into the part of the house, you know, so they're not jumping up on grandma or whatever, if, if they're not trained well to stay down. Um, we had obviously young children. Now our children are older. And I think a lot of parents deal with the dogs going in their rooms and eating socks and chewing up toys and going in the garbage in the bathroom and going in the garbage under their desks. At some point, you can fight with your kids till you're blue or you can punt and get a baby gate. Just set that area off and be done with it. Keeps the kids and the dog out of trouble, I guess, in the way to look at it. A lot less fighting, a lot safer for your pet. I mean, we keep our bathroom garbage on the counter. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone wants to do that. Just put the gate out in the stairway, in the hallway, wherever it is, and just keep the pet out of there. Avoid the fights. Avoid the vet bills. Just get a cheap baby gate. And the last item we would have. Last item on my list for, for today would be a bottle of Benadryl. Just plain old Benadryl that you get from Walgreens or Walmart or wherever. Um, it obviously always always check with your veterinarian as far as dosing is concerned but honestly labs get into everything one common one is um like wasp bites bee bites things like that and generally speaking you can save yourself a trip to the vet call the vet get the proper dosing information and you can give them some benadryl and that'll help dogs can even take it for seasonal allergies and right now we're recording this in the month of March at the end of March seasonal allergies are coming up for us here for people and pets so it's something that's a possibility for use with that of course always speak with your veterinarian but if you've got issues with your pet with allergies um, a wasp sting something like that it's a really great thing to have in the house I still remember that one time you were at work and Scarlett she was like jumping up on my on, on the back of my leg she was a little little puppy and I like stepped away and she like rolled backwards and fell and I came in it was like you know four hours later or whatever and her eye was swelled shut I'm like oh my god I am like the worst dog owner ever my wife's gonna kill me until then when the second eye was swelling shut I'm like she didn't hit both eyes and she had actually yeah. been by a bee gave her Benadryl and that ended up clearing it up before you got home so you never knew until now I did know you did mention it, but yeah, it's it's an awesome thing to have. It's multi-purposeful, especially for those bee stings, wasp stings. Well, uh, labs they stick their face right in there by them. In fact, sometimes they try to like snap at them and bite the stupid wasps, and the wasp's gonna win. It's gonna. Well, sting Memphis, them. Memphis eats them. She's she thrives. <laughs> she likes eating them. She yeah. calls well, you know, eye raisins. Yeah, and with the flies, you know that's disgusting. But at least they don't bite. They don't yeah. sting. But the wasps, yeah, they're going to swell up and it's scary and it's terrible. So have some on hand. You can just give your vet a ring, get the proper dosing, give it to the dog. And, you know, just like that, in a couple hours, you're going to be much improved. So that is bringing us to the end of our show. I want to thank everyone for stopping by. Kate, thank you for being part of the show today. Again, we are going to have in the next couple of months, 100% of our shows will be video podcasts as well as audio so if you like audio stick with it but if you want to watch a video podcast you can go on youtube you can go on spotify wherever else we end up putting it i don't know yet but we will have video podcasts as well as an audio podcast 
It's going to be a fun event. We're going to have some cool interviews, meet people on. I hope you guys really enjoy coming up. And I want to thank Kate for stopping again. Thank you guys for watching today. You are what makes us great. Everyone, have a great week and God bless. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.